I told I told Bill that if they move my desk one more time, then then I'm then I'm quitting. I'm going to quit. Chairs suspended over wood chips. It's crazy in the office. And here we have the most comfortable couch that I've probably ever slept on. These chairs that are inside the wall and on the ceiling, a table that has lights for this table. Of course, why not? Offices are where a lot of us spend most of our working lives. That's a lot of time. But even though nowadays there's less cubicles and more open plan, less sitting in a chair and more standing desks, it still seems like we haven't got it quite figured out. That's where this researcher comes in. Uh, my name is Agustin Chévez. Augustin is an adjunct research fellow at Swinburne University of Technology, and he's been looking into this, but I'll let him tell you more about his research. Well, basically, uh, as an architect, I believe that um, spaces sh should host activities. So whatever that is. Um, the one that I specialize on is work, uh, because I think it's a very complex social phenomenon. And as technology evolves, some of those things that we thought uh, were exclusively human, you know, like creativity, and we always have a job in that position is being challenged. And if that's been challenged, uh, what type of environments needs to be designed or created to in, into the future? You were talking about the building code. Can you describe what you found there and then how that relates to other forms of capacity for a building? So we wanted to see if the building code has been able to keep up with all the different changes that um, space has experienced through time. Open plan, but there are other, uh, other fit-out solutions like activity-based work, which really create very dense environments. So the first thing that we did is actually do a review of the building code and see which codes refer to how many people fit in a building. And we were surprised that there are not that many. And um, surprised because even if you're going to have a party, one of the drivers of that party is how many people are going to go. That is based on how many food you're going to provide, drinks, and so on. And from all the um, codes that we found, uh, we put some terms like, for example, capacity, uh, density, and so on. S only three refer to the number of people that fit inside a building. Things like, for example, visitors are not contemplated. So that could create an imbalance if you have an organization that is based more on people coming from the outside than inside. How do you manage those populations? You mentioned the importance of relevance of, of interaction in an office. Uh, what have you found there? That's a very important part of the question because one is how many people can fit in, but then once they're in there, why are they and what do you do with them? And one of the reasons they are there is because they need to interact. As work becomes more complex, perhaps activities that you do as work are less important. It's more about the social cues that you get from others, the social interactions, and how you interact with others. So we need to, rather than start designing from activities, to start designing to those more complex dynamics that happen in the place. We are now doing some research with um, an organization called Optimize, who they are specialized in social network analysis. So it gives us like an x-ray of how people interact with each other. And then we can use that to design our environments accordingly. There's been a lot of, I guess, research or focus on, on different personality types in the office. Have you found anything in, in your research so far about 
the introvert versus the extrovert in terms of inter interactions and how you cater space to that? You might be familiar with a book, Quiet, from Susan Cain. Uh, also, she did a TED Talk. Uh, and she reminded us that um, not everybody is a, an extrovert. And perhaps the type of buildings that or offices that we're designing favor the type of people that uh, bounce back or get their ideas uh, from discussing with others. And then we have all these meetings and these uh, spaces that perhaps favor those type of decisions where someone quiet in the corner might have the best answer to that problem, but they're not in the right environment to express those ideas. So I think we need to start considering uh, the different environments to suit different uh, working styles and also how people like to interact with problems whether they like to withdraw themselves, analyze it by themselves, or they just want to brainstorm it and with others. So, of course, we need to understand. We talk about, uh, you know, um, differences, uh, pop different populations in, in the workplace, and we can recognize um, gender, uh, uh, age, but there's more subtle differences, as the one that you mentioned, introverts and extroverts, that we need to increase the level by which we design and cater for those nuances. A basic insecurity for a lot of people who, who see the advancement in technology at the moment, which is, will my job be replaced by a robot? And then what do I do if my job is being taken by a robot? That ultimate fear, which is quite, you know, not, not as simple to define like that. But w what does your research say about the role of technology in this and, and how our interactions in space might be able to be better defined and how we might be able to work more effectively with technology in the future? I think I'm very I biased. I am biased because I'm an architect and I need to keep my job. But uh, I think that space will play a crucial role as we move towards more technology-driven futures. That perhaps the future of work might be someone's uh, dining table. Um, so we have all this technology, but then we're going back to what it seems familiar to us and to be with others. And it's not because they're necessarily collaborating but because they're satisfying some basic human natures. And uh, perhaps the office will evolve rather than at a place where you go to work. The place that you get to read the social cues that you need to do your work. Something interesting that is happening is that we, as we move towards more digital environments, how do you communicate leadership for for example leadership depends on um, transference of very subtle cues of how people you know even how they dress how they conduct themselves how they walk how they talk that we use space as a way of communi communicating those now as you have a more dispersed uh, workforce and a more digital workforce how will you pick up on those cues and how will you make sure that Everybody in your organization is growing in the same way. Perhaps that's what drove uh, the CEO of uh, Yahoo uh, to bring everyone back to the office. Because not because you can do it technology-wise, that means that you should be working at home all the time. Maybe you need to go back to the office and to develop those bonds and messages across the organization. When you were talking before, you um, mentioned um, nurturing our distinction as humans over over technology and the and the role that that could play in our actual work. What do you think um, are the distinctions of 
um, you mentioned human interaction there of, of who we are that could make us better or more effective or, you know, or that differentiate us between what a computer could do or what, um, what the te existing technology can do. It's a good one. <laughs> 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 um, yes, it's, it's a fascinating question because at the end of the day, we put value to what we th think is worth it. And we are kind of uh, making machines to and celebrate or code them, program them to do what we think. So we own the code at the end of the day, right as it is right now. So we're programming them to be successful with the same type of things that we are. So we still hold the key of what success looks like and we're teaching technology to get there faster. And I think that perhaps going back to the purpose of being human is about revisiting some things that uh, we have left behind in our obsession or drive of keep building up. So I always refer to the amazing buildings that are out there, how beautiful they are, how inspiring they are. But which or what stops have we missed in that process that require to be revisited? They're so fundamental, like how many people fit inside them and how many other questions are out there that we still need to ask ourselves. So there will be a lot of opportunities to still work at the uh, bleeding edge of innovation, but also go back and try to revisit very fundamental problems or questions that are the foundations of, of everything else. That's Augustin Chevez, architect and adjunct research fellow at Swinburne University of Technology. I'm Jenny Henderson, Melbourne Business and Economy Editor at The Conversation. Business Briefing's theme music is by Ben Sound, and you can find more episodes on The Conversation's website or on iTunes.